powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Bump, you and I were just talking about Gino and Drew, rather whether or not, excuse me, the team would run both quarterbacks back for 2024. It seems like they will. We know Gino reportedly is going to be on the roster through at least today, which um, is when he has a 12.7 million uh, salary that becomes fully guaranteed. Congratulations, Gino, on uh, getting a, a nice little padding to his bank account today. From the 253, keeping Gino is 100% a no-brainer. Seriously, not once did I see him jogging or missing tackles, and he didn't cost the team with knucklehead penalties and personal fouls. All facts. He, oh, um, that's not his uh, job description to tackle and to um, – and here's here's the thing about Geno too, man, is that say what you want about his performance at times, man, he was a, a calm type of dude, man. And when he was in his zone, when I felt like things were set up for him is when he's at his best, right? Play action pass, all that stuff is going. Uh, the spacing and the routes are good. Here's the thing too, man. We were talking about this before the show started. I hate when I watch games with people. And it's rare that I watch games with people other than Ray Roberts, Paul Moore, Brian Walters, and Nasa Chobie, all dudes who know football. Yeah. When they just yell at the screen, throw the ball, uh. throw the ball. I'm like, what, what do you see that Gino doesn't see? You don't even see what the safeties are doing. You're just looking at yeah. Gino in the pocket and you just assume that somebody is open out there. So, um, yeah, Gino, is he perfect? No, no, no NFL player is perfect. As close as you get is Patrick Mahomes. But is he worth another year of being a coach out on the field with this new coaching staff? Most definitely. Now, if they go another direction and, you know, by that March 18, they decide, like, look, we don't want to pay that roster bonus of $9 million, and you go elsewhere, then so be it. But you shouldn't have any problem with a veteran quarterback helping a young coaching staff keep things rolling like they have been the last couple of years. Rolling in the sense that you're not in desperate need of a quarterback and you're not baking on someone who's never done it to lead the charge. Field Yates uh, was among those defending Geno Smith. This was following Adam Schefter tweeting that Geno Smith was informed he'd stay on the roster. So yesterday on Twitter slash X.com, there was a little bit of discourse about Geno, which is why I'm referencing it now. Field Yates said, I know the numbers were down this year from 2022, but Geno was spinning it last season. Keeping Geno and fixing the defense this offseason is the way to go. Now, I think a lot of people look at uh, the defense for the Seahawks and they know it's wrong. Like, I haven't met many Seahawks fans who genuinely think Gino was the big problem. Like, there are some. I'm not saying that there aren't people out there who do. Most people I know see Gino moving on from Gino as one potential solution to fixing the problem, though, is where I think a lot of the confusion comes in. What or not confusion, but. So I think question. people see. Well, exactly. So I think some Seahawks fans think, all right, look. I understand stats. I can look at numbers. I can see that your defense was a huge problem. Do you want to have 31 against the cap for your quarterback? Or do you want to spend more money on defense? Now, I would push back and say that Geno's cap hit is closer to 15 for all quarterbacks than it is to anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, And also that Seattle has invested a lot already on defense. I don't know that the problem is a lack of investment. No, it's it's not, man. Um, 509 got me rolling right now, though. 509? (laughs) Come on, Bump. 
you know as well as other receivers that there's at least one or two receivers on every play that's wide open. Receiver talk gets <laughs> always do open. always <laughs> we're always open. Receivers will always say, I was wide open. Wide open. Like, like, give me a shot. Just throw it up. Yeah. Just throw it up. I was right there. I would have had a touchdown. It's easy it's for, like, man, for us to tell the QB just to throw it up because uh, he's going to get charged for an interception. Right, right. But they've invested in this team and they've invested in this offense. How have they done that? That You locked down Geno, which I think is a bargain if you really look at it. All right, $30 million a year for a quarterback who's done it um, is a bargain. You invested in the number 20 pick last year picking up JSM. You've invested two years in a row at the running back position, getting Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet. You've even invested in the O-line um, that hasn't performed, didn't perform great this past season, but before that, uh, you got some you got some good snaps out of them. So yeah. they have invested. I think that if you were to start over at the quarterback position, it just slows down the progression of this offense. And starting, starting over at a position with a rookie. Now, if they were to do something and grab Justin Fields and have him come over here, I'm okay starting over in that sense because he's been in the league, um, not necessarily proven, but he's shown that he can play in this league, and we, we got film. We know what he brings to the table. The rookies are the ones that just worry you. I, I, I cannot – I prefer not to depend on someone who's never done it in this league before, even if they are a Heisman Trophy winner. Look at Bryce Young. I mean, goodness gracious, the Panthers are kicking themselves right now for rolling the dice on that kid and putting him in that situation. That's a horrible situation for that young oh, man to be in. Truly. No weapons. Coaching's horrible. All bad. McCaffrey is gone. Like, it's it was all bad. So um I, I'm not I'm not knocking the Seahawks for the moves that they made because it's not like we're sitting here and we're watching a any position just falter and then in the offseason they don't address it. I guarantee you, Stacey, they will address the offensive line. Yes. I guarantee you they will address inside linebacker and defensive line. That's not how the Hawks roll, man. They see something, they go after it. Are these picks, are these acquisitions going to work out 100% of the time? No, that's not reality. That's not how this thing works. But to help your offense, to help a first-time coordinator in the NFL, you make sure he's comfortable at the quarterback spot. And if Grubb is cool with Geno, I'm cool with Geno. I've seen quite a few people saying, well, you have a new head coach, you have a coaching staff, why not bring in a new quarterback with it, right? It's like if you were to redo your kitchen and you were like, but we kept the old appliances. Part of you was like, oh, I'm not as excited now. I mean, I love the new <laughs> cabinets. The new counters are great. There's more space, but this this washing, you know, a dishwasher I have is still from 2008. <laughs> Don't I get something else? Like, I, I understand that feeling of like when you want to start over and start fresh, you want everything to be fresh, but it doesn't have to be this off season. Um, it can, uh, but it's also got to be when it's right. And I guess what I'm not sold on is that now is the right time. I would, I wouldn't care about being proven wrong. Great. Like I, if this team trades Gino to another team, and there are teams that would be desperate for those services. Not every team has quarterback locked up right now. I mean, we just saw a report this morning that the Raiders are going to be moving on from Jimmy G. You think they're going to roll with Aiden O'Connell or whatever his name is for the entirety of the season? I don't. I think they're going to be no. looking for someone else to go in and there and compete. So there are teams that would theoretically uh, be trade partners if you wanted to do that. And there are quarterbacks you could theoretically take that might be really fun. Great. Fun. Awesome. I'm not opposed to that. I just, I'm also cautious as a person and would be as a GM, which is why I'd roll with Gino. I don't get this take 206. If you'll take fields, 
sign lock for cheaper. How does that? I don't understand your logic there. Just because I take Fields doesn't mean that I want Drew Lock. It means that if I don't have Geno, then okay, I'm good with Justin Fields, not Drew Lock. Drew Lock. Drew Lock doesn't factor into any in the way I think about the situation at all. Drew Lock is only a factor if that's the route that they go. If they say, okay, we're good with Geno, they want Drew Lock. I'm saying Drew Lock has to be. If he's here, he's the backup quarterback in my opinion. He's not the starter. Um, so I'll, I don't know where you're going with that take. I don't get your logic there. Maybe there's something there. If you want to explain it, go ahead and do that. But um, but no, I'm open for changes at the quarterback spot if that means you're getting a guy that has already been here and is either young and full of potential, like a Justin Fields, not young coming out of college full of potential, young like a Justin Fields, or a guy, not necessarily this guy, but a guy like Kirk Cousins, who's been in the league, who's won a lot of games, not many playoff games, but has won a lot of games. With all that being said, Geno's a guy. Geno should be the guy. I like Geno. I trust Geno. He can win you some games. I think, and I don't mean to speak for the 206 who's saying that about, hey, bring back Locke and trade for Fields or something, but what I think a lot of people see when they see the comparison between, because this person also mentioned use that money um, that you save with Geno to add to the defense. What I think people say is, is the difference between Gino and Drew on the field enough to justify $31 million against the cap for Gino versus, I don't know, 10 for Drew or whatever it's going to be? Yeah, the Hawks thinks, think so. They think it's worth 12.7 right now, and we'll find out if it's worth $9 more million March 18th. I think um, even if, say, you, you think of the worst organizations in any type of sport, right, in football, basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever you want to do, hockey, the worst organizations have more information than you and I will ever have on these players. The worst organizations that are making horrible moves still have philosophies and insight that we just don't have. So now I think you have to look at the Seahawks. You got to look at John. You got to look at McDonald and say, okay, how much do you trust him? Do you trust him to make the right decisions? If you do, you cannot agree with a decision, but you can respect it because that decision-making is coming from a place of knowledge and perspective that we just don't have. Yeah. So I'm not saying you have to like Gino or uh, go along with it and support him 100%. I, I know as soon as week one happens, if he's a starter that you should, this is the this is the time of year where you are supposed to think of ideas. And what if you go and get that? And throw, throw out scenarios. I'm, I just lean on the side on if the coaches are okay with it, then I'm okay with it because they're the ones who have to put that man in their system right now, use their imagination and say, I can see him executing. And that's how absolutely how I feel. Like if a coach makes a decision, I go, clearly he has information. I don't and knows plenty about football and I don't like I, I get it. I, I think where I push back is where I have people that I'm like, wait, I have the same information you do. How are you seeing this? Because uh, because I don't see, for instance, when I look at Gino and Drew, I don't see two players who are the same when they were competing for this job and we did not know who would be the starter. It was very apparent that that Pete Carroll favored Gino because even though it was quote an open competition, Gino was getting like 90% of first team snaps. This was not a true open competition. I was very curious to see more from Drew because neither quarterback looked that electric in spring training. Mm -hmm. Then I was hearing from someone well-connected with the organization that Gino really stood out at the private practices indoor practices where they were able to dive into the playbook. And that's when you started to see the difference between the Mm -hmm. two. Mm -hmm. I'm not at this practices. So I'm going to take that person's word for it. Now, as the the past two seasons have played out, we've seen a little bit of Drew and a lot of Gino. 
I haven't seen enough of Drew to say they're the same guy. So I'm not sure where people are getting that. Yeah, me neither. Um, and again, you have your opinion, and that's what's up. I I, I appreciate um, different views on these things. I'm going to keep responding to the text lines. That's fine. It's, we're just having an open right conversation. Now. Yeah, people are people are uh, firing off. Someone I think it's says, great. I don't get you, Bump. Gino has proven he cannot win. How many Super Bowls has, what is he saying? He have, we have, anyway, he's pretty much saying he can't win. In two years, he hasn't gotten to a Super Bowl. Pat Mahomes had a down year. How were they able to get to the Super Bowl? Defense. That defense was remarkable. Now, Pat Mahomes had to have his moments and had to put together some game-winning drives, and that's exactly what he did. I believe if you put Geno with a defense like the Kansas City Chiefs, he's going to win a couple playoff games. He is. He had the most game-winning drives this year in the NFL, the most in one season in NFL history. It's funny how... We highlight a whole bunch of the negatives, but when the positives pop up, it's, oh, well, you know, he's just, he can't win a Super Bowl. He can't do this. Brock Purdy ain't won a Super Bowl. Brock Purdy on this team, I don't think, does anything different than what Geno has done, right? It's, it's a team sport. Sometimes you're only as good as your personnel unless your name is Pat Mahomes. And even then, you still need some help. So I'm not saying that Geno is the perfect quarterback. There is no perfect quarterback. As close as you get is number 15 in Kansas City. But what I am saying that is that was he supported? Can you look at this team this past season and say this team supported Geno 100%? There were no issues on the offensive line. They were completely healthy at the running back position. This defense was was great at tackling and doing all the, all the fundamental things. You can't say that. So because you can't say that and because I, I understand who Geno is and I realize he needs support like every other quarterback in this game, I'm more likely to say, okay, run it back with Geno and let's see how this team improves. After another year, you don't see any, any improvement. Then move and, on. And there are some options out there. I'm good with it. I think that's a, the way that I look at it, too. It's like, well, what do you have to play with, right? When I'm when I'm looking at my hand as a Seahawks fan, I don't have the same one as does uh, you know the team next to me. So in theory, I would love Patrick Mahomes as my quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, in theory, that's what I would want. Uh, in theory, I would I would love to have Josh Allen uh, as my quarterback here in Seattle. Lamar Jackson as a quarterback, like that would be great in theory. That's not my hand. That's not the hand that I've been dealt mm-hmm. uh, for this season. And I think that when I look back at um, Mina Kimes, who tweeted about this the other day by reposting her original take about it from a January podcast of hers, she said, "I don't know that Seattle finds a way to improve on Geno this offseason. Meaning, with Seattle's hand." With what they have to work with, you got pick number 16, you don't have a ton of cap space, um, you know, like here's what you have to work with, here's who's available in the draft. What do you have available to you? You've got Drew, you've got a couple of veterans who could be available. I mean, Jimmy G might be available, you want Jimmy G. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can bring back Gino. You can roll with someone at 16 if you want. Uh, it means you don't have a second rounder. You could still trade up into the second round, I guess. Uh, but that means not getting someone for your defense, which if, if you fall in love with the quarterback at 16, fine. That's that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll be right, and I'll, and I'll be wrong. Great. I would love a rookie. I would love having a rookie here who's cheap and amazing. That's my ideal preference. But is that a risk that you'd be willing to make if you were John Schneider? I, don't, I think that all of us can think, well, yeah, and then if it was like time for you to actually make the move, a lot more of us would kind of pause and go, well, wait a minute. Yeah. It, it, you're not um, 
you have no uh, you have no dog in this fight, really, right? These are all hypothetical situations, and you aren't you aren't responsible for making these decisions. Therefore, I think you're more inclined to make risk. Like you give me fifteen hundred bucks and go to Vegas, and I know I can lose this fifteen and ain't gonna hurt me. I might gamble a bit more than I usually do. I usually don't gamble that much. I, I play the minimum and I get my drinks and I'm good because I'm dealing with my money. You give me fifteen hundred bucks, man. I'm gonna make that thing work. We chilling. <laughs> we gonna have a, a few more drinks and and play a few more hands. So no, I, and again, I don't I don't challenge people because I just completely disagree and want to make them feel a certain way. No. I, I challenge them because one, you're allowed to feel your your feelings and and dissect the situation the way that you want to, but. I also try to give just a different perspective. And if you hear my perspective and, and you roll with it, for sure. If you hear it and you don't, that's for sure, too. But you got to, at some point, trust the guys that are making the decisions. And John has been here 14 years, man. And this is the time to where, for him to shine and for us to see how his philosophy works and if um, if Gino's capable to get it done. And all you can do is make an informed decision because that's exactly the approach that John Schneider is going to be taking, whether it's to the draft, whether it's to the offseason. If you come out and you say Drew is better than Gino, there is truly no definitive answer to that unless you roll with it. Right. But like to try to say Drew's better than Gino and that's that on that, you're wrong. For me to say Gino is the best option over any rookie you draft, that's wrong. I have no idea that that's, that that's true and that that's a fact. I'm just going on the information I have. So I think that that's what makes the conversation fascinating. It's it's what makes any conversation about quarterback for any team in the NFL one of my favorite conversations to have because you don't know you're right until it's all done. You know what I mean? Right. Like you don't know you're right until you've you've taken your swing and you've made your choice mm-hmm. and you've and you've made that bet and that gamble. Like Chicago thought they were right when they took Mitch Trubisky at number two and left you know Patrick Mahomes there on the board. The Chiefs were told by people they were taking a risk and taking Pat Mahomes. He's from this air raid system. Mm-hmm. He's going to come in and he'll have to learn behind Alex Smith. But, oh, God, I hope that wasn't a swing and a miss for you guys. You know, you don't know you're right until everyone else knows, too. So it's all said and done. Yeah. So it'll so be the dust is settled. It'll be fascinating to watch. I love this conversation, regardless of the team, um, because it's the most important position, maybe in all of sports, certainly in football and and certainly for the Seahawks in 2024. Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one, the Seahawks have named former Steelers receivers coach Frisman Jackson to the same position. And also former, former Rams assistant Jake Peets as passing game coordinator. What's the real headline? This might be the first coaching staff in NFL history that's never seen an episode of Seinfeld. Now, maybe they have, but the point <laughs> is, this is a very young coaching staff. Very young coaching staff with Peets and Jackson both in their early 40s, 40 and 44, I believe, uh, respectively. Obviously, we know McDonald's is just 36 years old. Um, offensive coordinator Ryan Grubbs in his 40s. He's, quote, older. Uh, Dirt is in his early 40s. I mean, this is a young staff. Yeah, young staff, um, full of new ideas, but full of the same fundamental ideas, too. There are things to be true in football. Got to line up correctly. Got to sign correctly. You got to execute. You got to make the tackle. You got to be where you're supposed to be. Uh, Yeah, those are fundamental things in football. But then when you start scheming things up, the way you show a blitz, the way you don't show a blitz, uh, the depth in certain routes, the timing of these routes, 
that's where things can change just a little bit, man. I don't think there's anyone on this app that is going to revolutionize football. It just it's not going to happen like that. But it's the little tweaks in the way they teach. So hopefully these younger guys coming in here will, will be able to do that. And you still got the OGs. Leslie Frazier is 60 plus. You got Palomalo, who is the running back coach. He's 60. So, yeah, we're highlighting these young guys in their 40s. But there's also some old heads on staff, too. What do you make of the Jackson hire for the receivers room? Because he comes from Pittsburgh, an organization that's known to churn out a ton of receivers. But this cut from Ryan Clark in December had me kind of scratching my head a little bit. The other piece of it for me is the state of that room, the wide receiver room from Antonio Brown to Juju to Chase Claypool to Deontay and now to George Pickens. There's been a cancer in that room. I don't know how it started. I don't know if it's Coach Tomlin's ability or willingness to let you be authentically you, but something needs to change because what's happened generation to generation, era to era, year to year in that room has been absolutely unacceptable. And Pittsburgh did let Jackson go after the season. Jackson was there two headline. Jackson was there two years. And he didn't draft Pickens. He didn't draft those other dudes. Did Pickens, he, did he, he, he was there when Pickens was drafted. I'm saying he didn't draft. Right. He doesn't make the decisions. Now, does he play a role in the attitude of the receivers? Most definitely. Uh, but there's, and that's another thing, man. People got to realize once these dudes get to the NFL, they're different dudes, man. They're not some sophomore who's begging for playing time. You get drafted high. Now you feel like you got some power. You're getting paid more than a coach. I put that more on Tomlin and um, and management, but obviously he was there too. So that he played a, a role in that. Yeah, I um think the way I look at it is like it's possible that you just had one very dysfunctional person uh, and then someone who ended up just being kind of irresponsible person mm-hmm. that happened to be in the same receiver room. I mean, do I look at, um, you know, coaching staffs around the league that maybe have like some problematic defensive linemen or like a problematic quarterback and wonder if it's the quarterback coach? I don't think I often do that. It's a fair point from Ryan Clark and he knows more than I do. So sometimes when NFL insiders say stuff like that, I'm like, does he know rumors that he's hearing about a coach? But I'm willing to give this a run and see how it goes. Headline number two, Raiders quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo suspended two games for violating the NFL's policy on performance-enhancing substances. What's the real headline? Aren't those supposed to make you better? (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy, what? Hey, it can make you stronger. It can make you faster. It can give you more twitch. But that decision-making, that that clutch, that fearlessness on third and, and eight, that making the throw to win the Super Bowl, it can't help that. So, uh... Jimmy probably needs to, to talk to somebody rather than take some PEDs. It kills me knowing that there are uh, switching sports baseball players who took PEDs during the height of the steroids era and just were horrible. <laughs> <laughs> we're making contact, couldn't hit a breaking ball to save their life, maybe getting like 15 home runs tops. And here comes Barry Bonds, who may or may not have done anything. <laughs> <laughs> Jose Canseco, <laughs> whoever else just... just like it's uh, it's one of my favorite debates about the steroid era is like if you're already great and take performance enhancing drugs, how much can you still pin on being great? Like there's just still Baseball a portion. Baseball's different though, man. I know, I know. You still got to square that thing up. Yeah, but I just like that Jimmy G 
taking performance enhancing <laughs> drugs to go out there and look handsome and miss wide, wide open receivers. You know what I'm saying? You're listening to Bump and Stacey on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Uh, all right, coming up, uh, we're taking a look around the NFL and uh, we're going to start talking about a very fascinating watch that's coming out for anyone looking at a three day weekend like we are. Uh, we have our eyes set on a brand new documentary NFL fans will love to watch that's coming up next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Taking a look around the NFL, we are going to start with the Chicago Bears. They need cap space and they cleared some around $21 million by releasing former Pro Bowl safety Eddie Jackson and guard Cody Whitehair. Uh, the Bears are going to be a really interesting team. Bump, yesterday you and I talked about the teams, which I failed at making it outside of Seattle, but the teams that we're most excited about to watch their offseason. A listener who texted it in said the Chargers. You said the Jets. Uh, I said the Bears, but it's primarily because of the number one overall pick. Yeah. Um, outside of that. And the uh, Falcons. I like the Falcons, too. I want to see what they the do. Falcons. I'm going to look at where the Falcons are. I think they are. got number eight, eight. The number eight pick. I mean, that's a quarterback if you want mm-hmm. it to be. Yeah. You know, we'll see what, what they do I there. I think but. they should be in the Justin Fields talk. They should be in the Russell Wilson talks. And they should be on draft the quarterback. Uh, the Falcons are definitely one of those teams that has spent a lot of draft capital without payoff because they don't have that quarterback. Mm-hmm. I think they have, what, the last three drafts? They have top ten picks on offense? Or am John, I? John, you got Kyle uh, Pitts. Drake London. And, yeah. Yeah. Three top ten picks on offense without your quarterback. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Really fascinating offseason for these teams. But, anyway, so the Bears looking to uh, get some money to spend. Let's see if they're going to do it to support Caleb Williams. Again, they got that number one overall pick. The Panthers are Seattle East. DM uh, GM Dan Morgan. Oh, my God. Uh, GM Dan Morgan uh, worked under John Schneider for years. Head coach Dave Canales was a longtime Pete Carroll assistant. And now Pete Carroll's son, Nate Carroll, former wide receivers coach and pass game coordinator here in Seattle, has been hired as pass game coordinator with the Panthers. What do you do when you make it out the hood, Stacey? Uh, all the homies. You bring your boys with you. You bring them with you. That's what Canales is doing, man. And that, it's funny to watch Canales' approach, right? He, he's bringing his boys on. It makes sense. You look at Mike McDonald. There's some familiarity with Jay Harbaugh. But other than that, he is really going out and seeking different guys, right? He's not looking at the Ravens coaching staff and say, all right, come on with me. He's not looking at Michigan and doing that either, though he did bring Jay over for special teams. But it's crazy just the different approaches, right? Because Canales was in the league for 10, 11 years yeah. um, as a coach and a coordinator. Uh, he, It's almost like he didn't have the Rolodex and Mike McDonald did just because of the, the different direction he's going. Canales is like, look, I'm just bringing the guys I'm familiar with. Mike's like, look, I'm going deep into this thing. So um, different approaches. We'll see um, who's more successful. All right. Well, what does Russell Wilson need to do to get another job in the NFL? According to Mike Tannenbaum, it's this. If Russell Wilson was saying right here, this is why I disagree with Gross and Tim Hasselbeck. We said, Russell, what do you want to be known for? Like, you want to be a Hall of Famer? Like, Bart's point, he does not want to go out the way he did last year. And money shouldn't matter because he's getting $39 million. And that's why if I'm him, I'm going to combine. I'm going to sit down with Mike Tomlin. I'm getting the deal done, and let's go. And then go draft my replacement. But he that's the play he needs to run if he wants his legacy to be different than what it is right now. And I still think there's a possibility that come September, he is, in fact, sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> Saying, look, if he doesn't want to be working a studio job like us, he better get out there and talk to teams at the Combine. I'm not mad at that approach. 
at this point of your career, you leave Seattle, you go to Denver, have a horrible first year, second year is better. You are getting along with your coach. Your reputation isn't tarnished, but people are asking questions at this point. So as if you want to play in this league, your responsibility is to make somebody believe in you. All you need is one coach with influence, one GM with influence and say, look, we want Russell to be our guy. You have to show that you're hungry. But something tells me when it comes to Russell Wilson, he's not going to put himself out there like that. I think that he views himself as a guy who should be sought after, not him flying to the combine to try to make these relationships and, uh, and get on the field. I think he'll play football next year, but I think that if he wants to have any type of control or say or influence, he needs to show up, be present, and have conversations. For anyone looking for some way to spend the weekend, let's say you don't have plans, let's say you got a three-day weekend, and let's say that even though you hate the the Patriots, you love the NFL, Apple TV's The Dynasty was released at midnight. It is a 10-episode documentary series that explores the rise and fall of the Pats Dynasty with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft is also interviewed. Now, I know what you're thinking. Um, I don't like the Patriots, nor do I care about the Patriots. Why do I want to watch this? Well, because apparently the last four episodes are especially juicy. So the first couple episodes touch on the start of the Pats dynasty, including those early Super Bowl wins. The middle episodes focus on Spygate, Aaron Hernandez's arrest, and Deflategate, respectively. Then you get into the final four episodes, and you start looking at the complete heartbreaking collapse of the relationship between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And let me tell you what, based on every review I've read, it is so much worse than we thought. That's more reason for me to watch. I grew Did I up, sell you on it just you, now? You sold me. Okay. I grew up like most of y'all as uh, Patriot haters. But uh, now as you step back, you look at greatness, you appreciate it. But uh, it's never as, uh, as easy and as fluffy as it seems. So, yeah, I'm locked in. There's this really interesting part where um, so uh, they, the access they got is insane. They talked to not only Tom Brady, Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, but uh, a bunch of former Patriots. Rob Gronkowski is interviewed. Wes Welker's interviewed. Um, Matthew Slater talks about playing for Belichick. So a couple players talk about just how difficult it was. Matthew Slater said it was brutal in a separate interview. Rob Gronkowski talks about pulling up to practice and not wanting to get out of his car to go into work. Meanwhile, check this. Wes Welker compared Tom Brady to an abused dog for continually going back to work for Belichick with Robert Kraft saying that Tom kind of wanted that fatherly approval from Bill Belichick. And he said, that's not Bill's style ever to give that. Now we've heard from Rob Gronkowski. You said Wes Welker mentioned Tom Brady. When you have a guy who just played special teams for 14 years in the league talking bad about an organization that that kept bringing them back just to run down on kickoffs, yeah. you know it's bad, man. Someone said I'd rather watch The Bachelor on repeat. I mean, you can. <laughs> you can absolutely do that. The Athletics' Kaylin Collar reports football agency Athletes First has directed their clients, this is interesting, you guys, to skip any cognitive or psychological testing during the pre-draft process. This is in response to criticism that last year's second overall pick, C.J. Stroud, got last year for his low score on the S2 test. If you guys it, can recall, C.J. Stroud was phenomenal this so year. so dumb. Right? Sit down and talk to a person. You get to know their intellect. Watch the film. Watch their decision-making. You get to know a, a bit more about them. Talk to the janitor. Talk to the strength coach. Talk to the assistant coaches. Talk to the lady that you see or man that you see when you walk through the football operations office at the front desk and, and talk about their relationships and interactions. Are we studying for the SAT? 
What is this? Heck no. You know, I've met some dumb people in real life who are some smart football players. Thank you. You, you, you know what you know. It's Get rid of all the extra tests. Also, while the S2 test is not the Wonderlick test, how many times have we heard about like, oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he got one of the best scores ever. Okay, and he was also great at throwing interceptions and then being like really <laughs> likable. Um, you know, about quarterbacks. Bryce Young last year, people said, got one of the better scores. Okay, and it didn't work out for him in Carolina. You know why? Because what mattered more than that score was giving him NFL caliber wide receivers and he didn't have them. This is what I want to know. Hey, CJ, what are you going to do in third and four? We got to run to the right. They're overloading the right side yeah. in the 4-3 over front and this is your alert. What, what, are, what are you thinking? Or, hey, this is a too high look right here. We got a smash concept going on. Where are your eyes going first? Or they're bringing pressure off the edge. Where are you going to slide your protection? Where's the running back going to go? Football questions, please. Yeah, someone said, Stacy, you sound stuffy. I have allergies. I'm trying my best. Bump gave me allergy medication. He told me to take a couple, so I took a couple. Then he no. said, just take one. And I said, but you <laughs> said take a couple. So I am feeling great. <laughs> still, The stuffiness is still there, but I think I called them prohistamines for a minute. Antihistamines, <laughs> prohistamines. Um, I'm trying my best. I apologize hey, for the sound doing, of the hey, show. Flu game. You're you know, balling. this is my flu you're game. Balling. I've often compared myself to Michael Jordan. We're gonna carry you out hey. of the studio. <laughs> Am I Scotty? <laughs> I'm Scotty yeah. carrying her out gonna, this piece. And anyways, this has been Bump and Stacey Wyman and Bob coming your way next, and then I'm just gonna collapse onto the <laughs> onto the mic power button and like just onto the floor. Oh God. Uh, all right, that'll do it for NFL headlines. Coming up next, we're going to take one last listen to the latest from Ryan Divish on where the Mariners are right now, uh, including what uh, Scott Service had to say about what the front office did these last six weeks in building out that roster. I think all of us are a little bit surprised at what they were able to accomplish. We're going to stick with the Mariners at one. Shannon Dreyer joining us ahead of spring training. Don't go anywhere. Bumpin' Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Been a pretty solid offseason for the Mariners, and I got to say, Bump, I'm a little surprised by that. When they started the offseason by trading away Jared Kelnick and Marco Gonzalez and getting rid of Gino Suarez and not signing Teoscar Hernandez, I thought this feels, the vibe it's giving is salary dump. The feeling I'm getting is that you're getting rid of guys who have been leaders or who can contribute or maybe have some impressively high ceilings like Jared Kelnick, and you're not getting anything back yet. Where's the return? When's the first move? Then, of course, we saw all the reports about the regional sports network mm-hmm. and everything that was going on there, and we thought, oh, God, oh, no. Like, this is just <laughs> going to be a mess. Since then, they've spent six weeks building a pretty solid roster. Scott Service, in fact, uh, was talking about what the front office has been able to do, said this. I think the things that we've done here over the last six weeks, two months, a fantastic job um, by both Jerry and Justin understanding, you know, maybe some of the obstacles we're up against and trying to figure out how to make it work. And it wasn't easy. A lot of creative ideas get thrown around by not just those two guys, but everybody in the front office coming up with ideas and, and how to get our team better. You've heard me talk forever. My players have heard about it. You know, it doesn't matter what you did last year. You got to get better. You do have to get better. And Bump, I feel like they genuinely did. Yeah, I think they did. I think um, Scott believes that too. I don't remember exactly what he was saying last year around this time, but I remember the feeling that I got listening to him. And it felt like he was sitting there saying, what do you want me to do? I, I can't I, I can't control anything that's happening right now. Whereas this time around, it feels like he's optimistic about what they can do. You got better um, 
got better bats or less strikeouts, I should say. Um, if this Chapman deal goes down, um, that is just, man, what do you call that? The cherry on top. Speaking of that, let's go to, I played this earlier, but um, I'll see what sound I didn't get to. So I, I did not get to this. This is uh, Ryan Divish on with Brock and Salk talking a bit more about Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman is a guy that's like about routine too. And I think that's one reason why the Mariners even are interested is the defensive aspect of it. They believe you can hit still a little bit, but like the guy's a worker. He fits in. That's the one thing I've noticed about all these guys they've gotten, Garver, Polanco, you know, Rayleigh, Hanniger, bringing him back. They fit in. They're, they're no, there's no more. They're not taking the chances on, on guys that they don't know about, like the winkers of the world. They want guys that are going to work and are going to bind exactly what they're doing because they just don't have time. I mean, their window is limited, and you don't have time to break new guys in and wait two months for them to either yeah. buy, get in or get out. I appreciated Divish mentioning Winker, Winker, excuse me, that the Mariners learned a lesson there about who fits into your culture and who doesn't. Yeah, um, on paper he did because he was coming off an all-star year, uh, but then he gets here, and the best thing Winker did was start that fight. In, Truly. In, uh, in in Anaheim. That was the best thing he did. And that's how he won us over. That's how he bought himself some time. Yeah. So we're like, man, that's what we're talking about. Just the, the feistiness and he's fierce and he ain't scared of nothing. And service is in the mix, too. Best PR he could have bought. Right. Himself. And then we're like, OK, well, his back hurts again. Uh, okay, well, he's not in for power like we're, we we thought we were getting out of him. And then you start to hear some of the rumors coming out of the clubhouse, and you go, all right, clearly not a good fit. But um, just as just as much as production is important, right? And I don't think you should bargain with production. You tried that with Colton Wong. You tried that with A.J. Pollock. You got to find the right mix of, okay, can this guy come in and produce right now, and is he going to work or fit in with this group? You look at what Chapman could possibly bring to the table. A four-time gold glove. He's uh, been an all-star, and his numbers are, are similar to Geno. The thing he has on Geno is that he has a better glove. Um, he's shown that he can do it over the years. But what about his personality? I don't know him, uh, but it sounds like Divish has uh, kind of a, a read or a beat on, on who he is and, and how he operates. And if he can fit right in, then, then so be it. But at this point... If they were not to get this done, I'd be disappointed, but I wouldn't be devastated. Mm. There was some point where we didn't we knew Shohei wasn't gonna come here, but we're still hoping, right? <laughs> we're, we're still, still having hoping. hypothetical conversations. You know? Yeah, we're like Yamamoto, we'll see, probably gonna happen, but but we're still hoping. This is uh this is realistic. Right. Sometimes my kids write goals out. I don't know, dang well they're gonna reach that goal. I'd be like, oh. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to gas him up. I'm like, right. hey, you're going hey, you to do this, do that, do that. In my head, I go, nah, he's not going to reach that goal. She's not going to reach that goal because she's not doing A, B, and C. Like, this is a real thing right here. Like, this is Matt Chapman. I see him in the on this roster, and I see him playing third base and contributing. Um, but they got to go out and get it. So hopefully, DePoto is having conversations with the powers that be that control the money and saying, look, I've done a lot with a little. Now give me a bit more, and I can go secure this corner. Speaking of the uh, people holding the purse strings, here's a bit more of what Ryan Devish had to say about the Mariners' budget constraints and what it forced Jerry Depoto and Justin Hollander to do. It forced them to get out of a comfort level, and they had to reassess a lot of things about what they value versus what they had. You know, like, yeah, Gino's a great dude. He's a really good dude. And, he, you know, that part of it will be missed. But then you're also evaluating he's 32. How is he, is he regressing? Is this like something that's a trend that's going to go down? The power's going to go down. You know, he played a lot last year, but like, is that, is that what you want? You know, do you, is Jared, 
you're assessing, is Jared truly going to be the guy you think he is? Is he going to take another stop, another change of scenery to be all those things? They had to reevaluate everything and what was important to them. And what they found, I think, is like, look, the identity is the five starters, which they were able to keep, and up the middle, Cal, Julio, JP. And then we'll figure out the rest. Look, I'm not going to pat anyone on the back for spending like a bottom third market when you're a middle tier market uh, or, you know, clutching those purse strings and and doing whatever when Mariners fans deserve more. I'm not going to be like, a you know, great job. You really taught us all a lesson. However, I did think it was an interesting twist from Ryan Divish that he said basically having a very limited budget forced the Mariners brass Jerry and Justin to ask themselves questions that they hadn't had to ask themselves before. Basically, do I need this guy? Do I want this guy? Is me sacrificing space, you know, that I could get on someone else worth it to me? Like, who do I want to be? I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's going shopping where you know your budget and you walk down that aisle and you go, dang, I don't I don't have enough for this. But if I put this away, then um, we can make this move. And I'll probably be happier getting this uh, this bomb flower tortilla um, rather than, you know, this, uh, what are those, those pre-made fake Taco Bell type uh, shells? No, the shell. shells. The shell. Yeah, I guess. Are they called Chalupa, chalupa well, shells? Well, are you shells? talking about the Taco Bell shells the that Taco are Bell, like... The, the crunchy ones. Oh, the crunchy ones? Right. Well, I don't know. The Chalupa shells are the crunchy shell surrounded by a soft outer shell. Okay. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the crunchy versus the flour <laughs> tortilla. Learned, <laughs> yeah, you got to learn. But they're just, I mean, they... It was risk reward. Like, all right, man. Well, how much do we need this? Um, how much do we want this? How much does this make our team better? Yeah. And I think they made this team better. Yeah, it reminded me of like when you need to make budget cuts and you're going through things in your house and you think, wait, why do I have this? Like, why am I <laughs> hanging on to this? If I suddenly have to downsize to a smaller kitchen, I've had this thermos for five years and I don't think I've ever used it, but I keep hanging on to it because it was a gift or because of whatever. It's like, that's the equivalent of what the Mariners had to do. And right. and we're going to see the outcome, the byproduct of that. Either it's going to be a very sharpened focus of exactly the team they want to be after making some tough sacrifices, or they're going to be shorthanded. We're going to find out pretty soon here. Uh, let's bring on Mariners insider Shannon Dreher to continue this conversation next. Don't go anywhere.